So um, this morning, we're kicking off a brand new series called What's Next? And I'm really excited about what God is doing. This series is, it's a question, yes, what's next? But more than a question, I believe it's an invitation from God, that God is giving an invitation to us as individuals and an invitation to us as a community of, of believers and followers of Jesus. God, you know, he, he's saying, what do you want me to do? We've been together as a church family for seven and a half years, and God has done amazing things. We've seen lots of restoration, lots of children, lots of marriage, lots of things happen over the last seven and a half years. And the baptism today is just more fruit of what God wants to do in, in us loving one another and loving the world around us. And so I believe as we, the month of August, as we talk about what's next, we're, we're saying yes to God's invitation. I really believe that, that God is saying, what do you want me to do? There's more that I want to do in, in your life individually and in us as a community. So he's calling us to more. But to more what? In John chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus told his disciples, he said, it's to my Father's glory that you bear fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so the, the, what's next, what's more is more fruit. God wants to bear fruit in your life individually and in us collectively as a community. Well, what's fruit? You can think of fruit in, in two senses. In, um, internally, inwardly, fruit is the fruit of the Spirit, Right? In Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love. You ever have somebody in your life that's difficult to love? Maybe they're sitting next to you. I don't know. But you have somebody in your life that's difficult to love. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not going to be your willpower that causes you to love somebody. It's not going to be your emotions. It's going to be the fruit of the Holy Spirit to give you love, to give you patience, to give you peace self-control, faithfulness, gentleness, kindness, those nine fruit of the Spirit, those manifestations of, of the Spirit of God on the inside of us. But God also wants us to bear fruit outwardly. And he want, the, the outward fruit that he was telling his disciples there is you're going to bear fruit. You're going to do ministry. You're going to preach the good news. You're going to do good deeds you're going to have an impact and an influence on people around you, and you're going to bear fruit to my Father's glory. That's what God wants for us. That's what he wants for us individually and for us as a church family that we be more fruitful. And so God has that plan for each one of us. Now, there's, there's two verses that I came to my heart as I was thinking that are really God's invitation to what's next or God's invitation to more. The first one is found in Hebrews 11.6. It says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone, anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So God says, the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we have to believe that he exists. We have to believe his promises and we have to believe that he re will reward us for the things that, that, we, that we do, to, that he allow him to produce fruit in our life. As we earnestly seek him, he says he will reward us. And sometimes I hear people say, well, I don't do this for rewards. 
Well, if God offers rewards, then they're good. They're noble. He says, go for it. Watch what I'll do as you earnestly seek me. And then Jesus gives this incredible invitation in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You see those three words there, ask, seek, knock. And I believe that there are folks in this room today, you're asking God for more and you're waiting on him and you're seeking him for more and you're seeking to, to find the right door. You're knocking on the door. Is this the right one? Sometimes when, when we feel prompted in our heart to, to, to maybe do something for the Lord and we, we knock on a door, if that's not the right door, keep knocking. Keep knocking. Go to the next door and trust God to lead you to where the right place where he has for you. So keeping these invitations of God before us to be more fruitful. The rest of our time together, I want to talk about four resolutions that are going to position you to be more fruitful. How many made resolutions at the beginning of the year, New Year's resolutions? Nobody's raising their hand. How'd that go, right? I'm going to read the Bible this year. And dang it, I got to Leviticus in February and uh, I'll go back to my little devotional or whatever because, you know, it's hard to keep resolutions. And we're going to talk about how do we keep resolutions. If we're going to have these four resolutions for more, then we're going to need help to be able to keep it. But I'm, I'm, I'm really pretty fired up. I believe God has something good for us, and I'm believing him and trusting him for more personally and for us together. In the book of Hebrews, it's chapter 11 is kind of the the hall of faith, so to speak, where the writer of Hebrews goes through all the Old Testament characters and how they exercised faith and how by faith they pleased God and he, he rewarded them for seeking them the way that they did. And what we're going to talk about this morning is how Hebrews gives us a little snapshot into the life of Moses. And, and if you remember the story of Moses, maybe you saw the, the Prince of Egypt. Who saw that? You've seen that? Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston. He, he played a pretty good Moses, right? But when you think about Moses, you, you think about what he was called to do. He had to have some resolve in his life if he was going to fulfill God's calling on his life. The story of Moses, real briefly, is um, at the end of Genesis, Joseph is, he, remember he was sold into slavery by his brothers to the Egyptians, but he found favor with Pharaoh. And when there was a famine in the land, all the Hebrew people moved to Egypt and came to live with Joseph. And they found favor for a season. But when that Pharaoh died, the new Pharaoh, the new king, he hated the Hebrew people. So he enslaved them, and he made life horrible for them. And God raises up Moses as the deliverer, right? Let my people go. Well, in the beginning of the book of Exodus, we see where Pharaoh makes this edict that, edict that he wants all the boy children of the Hebrews to be killed so that they don't know multiplication. He wanted to wipe them out completely. And so Moses' mother... She, they, they hid Moses for three months, and then she puts him in this basket, right? 
and floats him down the Nile River, just hoping that he would be spared from being killed. And just so happens in God's providence that, that Pharaoh's daughter goes down to the river and she finds Moses. And she adopts him and brings him into Pharaoh's house. And he lives in a palace. He's raised as the son of the king. I mean, he's living in the, the, the lap of, of luxury and all the power and prestige that came with that. But we know what God called Moses to do, right? So here's what it says in Hebrews. It says, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. From that passage, I see four things that we need to resolve, resolutions that we make today together individually and as a church, and we say, God, we're ready for more. The first one is this. You can write this down. Refuse to let others and the world define you. I got to refuse to let others and the world define me. From the time you were born, all your childhood, you've been receiving messages about who you are. Somebody has been trying to define you, give you what you think your identity is. Even your parents, as, as, as good as parents can be, sometimes send us a false message about who we are. And so we've been receiving this false message, this false identity about who we are, and the world around us is trying to define you. People are trying to define you. You're trying to find out who am I? Who am I supposed to be? If we want to be more and have more from God and be the people he wants us to be, I got to refuse to let others in the world define me. I got to let him define me. I have to let Jesus alone define me. It says in verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, Moses could have continued to play the game of that he was an Egyptian and he wasn't a Hebrew, and he could have played along that, that he was really part of Pharaoh's family. But when he got that nudge from God and he started realizing who he was, he had to say no to that. He had to say no to the, the message that he was sent of who he was. He had to say no to somebody else or something to define him. Now, where do we find our identity? You be honest with yourself. What honestly defines you today? Who defines you? And I'll tell you how you can, you can figure out, if you were to be honest, where you find your identity, where you find your worth is whoever approval, who's, whoever you want to impress, that's who is defining you. Whoever you want to impress, whoever's approval you think you need, that person or that thing is actually defining you. And I think individually that's very true. But I was thinking about this for us as a church family. Um, 
there's tons of great churches right within, you know, even walking distance. Tons of great churches in our city. God didn't call Novation Church to be like some other church. He didn't call us to be anything other than to stay in the lane that he called us to be as a church family and how to reach people and to touch lives and be the, the, the kind of church that is known for loving God and loving one another and discipleship and really growing in Jesus. He didn't call us to be like another church. So we can't let somebody else or, or what else define us. We as a, as a community have to say, Lord, you define us. You called us to be what you want us to be. Same with us as individuals. Don't let anybody else other than Jesus define you. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, he says, our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. And then Paul says also one, a very important verse to memorize is Romans 12 too. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. He says, don't copy the behavior of this world. Don't let the world define you. Don't let the world's system of, of, of power and prestige and popularity and all of that define who you are. Let God change the way you think about him and the way you think about yourself. And I know this to be true. Whatever thoughts enter our mind, whatever I think about determines how I feel. And how I feel determines my behavior. So it's think, feel, act. So we have to start in our mind by saying, Lord, you define me. Not people around me or prestige or, or what kind of house I have or don't have or how much money I have or do I have the right clothes or am I popular or this or that. No, you define me. We need to refuse that. Approval addiction and people pleasing stymies our growth. It stunts our growth and it causes us to not really walk in the plan that God has for us. The second resolution is this. I need to endure short-term pain for long-term gain. Endure short-term pain for long-term gain. Now, in, in recognizing who he was and what God was asking Moses to do, he knew he was in for some pain. There was going to be a difficult road standing up against Pharaoh, right? He knew that that was going to... To, to be a problem for him, that he was going to have to endure short-term pain for long-term gain. Now, back to, to John chapter 15, when Jesus told his disciples that it's to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, proving to be my disciples, he talked about how the Father was the gardener. He was the vine dresser, and that Jesus was the vine, and that we are the branches, and that in order to bear fruit, we have to be connected to the vine. That's just the way, like, it works, right? And the, the, if the vine is disconnected, it withers away and dies. When it's connected, the branch is connected to the vine, then it draws life, it draws the sap, it draws the nutrients so that it can be fruitful. So what that tells you and I is we have to stay abiding and connected in Jesus by being together, by, by reading the Bible, by praying, by just doing the, the things that he says, how do we remain in him and how do we stay connected to him? But Jesus also says, you're going to produce fruit to my Father's glory, but he also says when you're fruitful, 
The Father's going to prune you. And pruning is never fun. Like you look at a, a, a branch that's been pruned or a tree or a bush, it kind of looks ugly. It, it looks like, you know, the dog with the cone of shame on it. So it, it, it just, it, it looks awkward. But in that season of pruning to get rid of the, the dirt and the, the dead leaves and all that comes with that, it's a preparation to be more fruitful. I know personally, I went through a season of pruning and I know I'll go through it again. And I know as a church, we went through a season of pruning. Once we moved into this building, there was something that God said, okay, you've been fruitful and I want you to be more fruitful. So hold on, this is going to hurt a little bit. And all of a sudden, we're just standing there like the dog with the cone of shame on. And then yet, God is beginning to make people and, and, and our church family even more fruitful. It says about Moses, it said that he chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He knew he was going to endure short-term pain for long-term gain. Now, it says the fleeting pleasures of sin. Sin is fun and brings pleasure, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't be tempted to do it. It's not like you're, you're being tempted to eat right and exercise more or, or do something that's hard. You're, you're tempted by something that's going to, at least in the short term, bring some sort of pl pleasure to our life. That's the way sin works. But sin... And shortcuts, they hold out a promise. Do it this way and you'll be happy fast. But God says when you follow my ways, you're going to endure some, some, some of the hard stuff for a long-term gain. When you refuse uh, to be defined by the world, when you say yes to his plan, following Jesus is not easy. The five people that said yes to Jesus today following Jesus doesn't make your life easier. It actually makes it more difficult, but it's worth it. It's always worth it. And so the right things and the hard things are most of the time the same things. When we do the right things, it's usually the hard thing. Jesus gave a promise in John 16, He said, in this life, you're going to have trials and sorrows of many kinds. Well, thank you for that promise. How many, in this life, you are going to have trials and sorrows of many kind. But he follows it up with, but take courage. I've overcome the world. Thankful for that. Two things that help us endure short-term pain for long-term gain to position ourselves for more is found in two verses. Romans chapter 5, Paul says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. So when you go through difficulties, and you're going to, as a believer in Jesus, as a follower of him, it's developing in you your faith. So endure short-term pain for long-term gain. And then we find in 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, here's Paul's instruction to Timothy. He says, discipline yourself. How many love the D word? I hate that word because I know how undisciplined I, I can be. But he tells him, he says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is 
only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. I love that. What he's saying right there is how we live our life in this world is going to affect eternity and what I do in eternity. And it's important that we recognize that. That's, again, God rewarding us. Not salvation is never earned by what we do or don't do, but there is a promise of how I live my life in this world for the life to come. I don't know exactly what all that is, but we see it over and over that God's going to reward us for how we live, how we took care of our responsibilities and being faithful. And I know discipline, everybody in this room is probably disciplined in some way or another. Some of you are very disciplined in what you eat and that you exercise. But I imagine you're not disciplined in other areas of your life. Some people are very disciplined in some other area of their life, but if we were all to be honest, we lack discipline somewhere in our life. And Paul is saying that if we discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, that's where the fruit truly comes from, to be more and more like Jesus. So the best definition I've ever got for, for discipline is this, the ability to delay gratification. That's discipline. It's easy, it's way easier to drive through fast food than it is to cook something that's healthy and nutritious. It's just a fact. Usually tastes better too, right? I mean, but to discipline yourself to say no to that and yes to something that's healthy, you're delaying gratification. It'd be easier to do the first part, but we know to discipline ourselves to do what's right. And so what we're doing when we discipline, when we endure short-term pain for long-term gain, we're replacing bad habits with good habits. That's a huge part of our discipleship is I'm replacing bad habits with, with good ones. I hope and imagine everybody in this room woke up and the first thing they did was brush their teeth. If not, you probably should get in that habit, <laughs> you know? But you brush your teeth, and it's just you do, it's second nature to you. It's a good habit to have. And so part of discipline and, and discipleship is replacing bad habits with good ones. That's hard to do. That's not easy to do. I imagine most people drank coffee this morning. The first time you drank a cup of black coffee, I don't think you went, mmm, that's so delicious. <laughs> but you liked the little caffeine buzz that it gave you, and then you put something in it, and it just became no-brainer what you do. You drink coffee in the morning or your tea or whatever it is. Faith, exercising faith has to become a habit. And exercising our faith, faith is like a muscle that needs to be exercised and developed. And the more you exercise it, the bigger it becomes and the more fruitful your life is. The third resolution that we find from Moses is I need to spend my life on what matters most to Jesus Spend my life on what matters most to Jesus. I worked in a lumber yard when I was younger, and I worked at a HVAC uh, company. And in both of those places, one Saturday a year, we had to take inventory. Anybody, you've ever had to do that? You own a business where maybe you have parts or something, and you, it all has to line up with what's in the computer to know what you have and, and don't have. And you take inventory to realize what we have. Well, 
my challenge to all of us is to take an inventory of your life. Are you spending your life on what matters most to Jesus? Look at your time. How do I spend my time? What's on my calendar? Am I including Jesus in every area of my life? How do I spend my money? Does my money reflect what's most important to Jesus? Like That's so important for all of us to look at. I realize it's convicting too. And I'm not saying this in any way to condemn, but I'm convicted and, and, and I know we together need to come together and say, are we really spending our life on what's most important to Jesus? Does our church reflect what's most important to Jesus? Said in verse 26 of what we read that Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Years ago, there was a movie that came out called Brewster's Millions. Anybody remember that movie, Brewster's Millions? And uh, the story was about this has-been baseball pitcher who was washed up. And he inherits this money from some distant relative. And the, there was a catch to his inheritance that if he wanted to inherit $300 million, he had to spend $30 million in one month but not have one thing to show for it. He was trying to teach him to hate money. And he could have taken what he called the wimp clause and, and just taken a million dollars and that would have been settled. But he went for the big deal. He went for the reward of the $300 million. And he had to spend $30 million in one month with nothing to show for it. Well, I think that's kind of a picture here of our lives. We've been given a set amount of time, talent, and treasure. And God says, how you spend your time, talent, and treasure in this life, I'll reward you in the life to come. Are we willing to take him up on that? Are we willing to take him at his word and spend our lives on what's most important to him. So how do we take inventory? First thing I would say this is ask yourself the question, what are my values? Vision sets values. When you, vision is a look into the future. A vi, vision is, is a, a conviction about what could and should be. Something has your attention. You want life to be a certain way or you want to make changes or whatever. That's called vision. That's what this whole month of what's next is about. What's God's vision for us as a church and, and individuals? And so the world's values are the treasures of Egypt. Popularity, possessions, stuff, pleasure. God promises to reward us for living for eternity, for things that have eternal value. The, the world's system is set up for short-term values, things that we can't take with us to the next life. And so we're stewards of that which God has given us, and God promises to reward us for living for eternity. C.S. Lewis said in one of his books, he said that um, if you aim at if you aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. But if you aim only for earth, you get neither. In other words, if I live for eternity, if I live for, for eternal values, then I'm going to get the, the good things of this world anyway. But if I only aim for the good things of this world, I'm not going to have what's really best. 
So ask yourself this question as well. Is my life arranged around what is most important to Christ? Is my life arranged about, around what is most important to Jesus? What were Jesus' priorities? What were his practices, so to speak, that he had when he walked this earth? When you read through the Gospels, when you read through the biographies of Jesus, well, his practices on a daily basis were spending time with the Father. He, he spent time asking the Father, what's your will, and listening. He spent time alone to be with the Father. And his priorities were always doing the will of God and people, loving God and loving people. Sometimes in life, we have to say no to good things in order to really receive the best things. And there's a family in Novation. If I said their names, they would kill me. But I'm not going to say their names but years ago, they wanted to buy a house. And I'll never forget having this conversation. It moved my heart. And they wanted to buy a house, and they were contemplating, should we move to another state where houses are not so expensive? Should we move away? And uh, they looked at each other, and they said, oh, we can't do that. We're involved in a life-giving church, and we give life to our church. We can't move away for that. We're going to have to trust God on how to figure this house thing out. And God did do that exactly for them. And I wasn't moved because they chose Novation to be their church. I was moved by their faith. I was moved that they, how much they understood the local church and how the local church is not here for us just to be consumers and meet our needs, but I'm here to give life and to be part of something that gives life. I always thought that was awesome. So here's what I, my challenge for you to do would be set an appointment in your calendar. Set an appointment with yourself this week. Maybe you and your spouse set an appointment together and really look at your calendar and your time. How do I spend my time? How, do I, how are we spending our money? And truly create a budget of your time, talent, and treasure and say, I'm going to spend my life what matters most to Jesus. He's going to get my very best. Would you do that? Do that with yourself or you and your spouse and really look at this and say, we're going to resolve to spend our lives on what matters most to Jesus. The last thing, resolve, is this. We're going to resolve to live by faith rather than fear. Moses had every reason to be fearful. He had every reason to be. He was taking on Pharaoh. He was taking on the, the king and was going to say, let my people go and, and all of this. He was undergoing something very fearful. To live by faith doesn't mean that we're not going to have fear. Courage is not the absence of fear, but courage is doing something in spite of my fear. And so when I say live by faith and not by fear, that doesn't mean that we're not going to have fear. It just means I'm going I'm to walk in faith rather than let my fear dictate to me how I'm going to live my life. It says by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. He walked by faith rather than fear. The size of our God determines the size of my fear. If God is itty-bitty, then my fears are going to be huge. But if God is huge as he promises he is and all the things that he promises to be for us, then my fear should 
come in line and be a lot smaller. My problems should seem a lot smaller in light of that. It doesn't mean they're not hard and difficult. It just means that God has promised to be so much for us. And the closer you and I get to God, the less we're going to fear and the more we're going to truly walk in faith. So what's it going to take for us to keep these resolutions? You might be saying, ah, that sounds great, um, very inspiring, whatever, uh, what's for lunch? <laughs> but you might be saying, that sounds good, but how am I going to do that? When I walk out of here, when I walk through those doors, it's back to the grind. It's back to Monday tomorrow, back to, to, to life normal. Well, what's it going to take? I would say, number one, I need the help of others. You need the help of others to keep the resolutions that God is calling us to, to position ourselves for more of Him. Put the support system together now before you try to execute the vision that you have for your life. Have some support around you. Put a support system in place now before the crisis comes. Because if you're not in a crisis now, you're going to be at some point in time. You gotta have people around you that support you and love you and that will encourage you and pray for you. That's why we stress the importance of, of home groups and being together on a regular basis to care for one another and to have friendships beyond Sunday. You're not going to grow in the Lord the way you should if you just come for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday. You've got to have those relationships. It says in, in Hebrews chapter 10, it gives a warning. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And the second thing is this. I need to ask and expect God to help. Ask and expect God to help you keep these resolutions. Jesus, in the same chapter of, of chapter 15 of John, when he was talking about being fruitful, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from him, you can't bear fruit. You got to be connected to him. And so ask him and expect him to help. Do you believe his promise when he said, ask, seek, and knock, and it will be given to you? You want to do something that you know is in accordance to the will of God, he's going to bless it. And if you want to do the will of God, you will do the will of God. You don't have to wonder. And you wonder, well, what's the will of God? To love him, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. If we're loving God and we're loving people, then you can know that you are doing the will of God for your life. It says in Isaiah 57, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a stone, determined to do his will, and I know that I will not be put to shame. That's resolve right there. I put my face like stone, set it like a flint that I am going to do his will. Will you do that today? I'm going to. I'm going to resolve to trust God for more. Before we pray, there's a couple things I want to call to action for all of us in here. They're simple, but they're, the, they're a step in the right direction. Um, would you be willing to 
whatever social media you use, if it's Facebook or whatever, and you're saying, yes, I want, I want more. Lord, I want to be positioned for more. Would you set right now maybe your Facebook status as, Lord, I'm resolving to trust you for more. Do that. Do that right now. Lord, I'm resolving to trust you more. You're putting it out publicly that, God, I am trusting you. I'm resolving my face, setting my face like a flint to do your will. I want to, more of you. Maybe you're not on Facebook. Text somebody. Text two people that you trust and say, I'm resolving to trust God for more. Get it out there. Because then once we do that, we're making ourselves a little bit more accountable to God to say yes to him. The second action step I would say for all of us in this room is, would you join a home group? Would you join a home group, connect with others in this church, connect with other believers in a way that you can be accountable for one another? Because you need the help of others to fulfill the vision and plan God has for your life. And you need the help of others for life's stuff, the crisis that happens. And so maybe today it's the first time as you you can fill out a connection card and Joel and, and Kristen will be back at the info table and you can hand them that. They lead our home groups. They'll get you connected to the right one. Maybe you're saying, I want to start a home group. I'm willing to do that as well. We always are looking and needing for more home groups, but we need one another to position ourselves for more. Maybe you're, you're in a home group, but you've been a little, little lax about your commitment and time, making time for it. Text your home group leader and say, I'll see you this week. I'll see you at the next meeting. Or, or when are we meeting again? Position yourself for more. Let's stand and pray. Lord, as we sing this song, and as we resolve ourselves to position ourselves for more of you, we're saying today, Lord, do your will in our life that we could be more fruitful. Let's sing this together with all our hearts this morning. Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. And everything I Turning back, oh. 
altered in that the cross before me the world behind me no turning back no turning back he's more than enough with singing Christ is enough for me Christ is Help us lean on that today. Remind us every second of every day that apart from you, we can do nothing. That through you, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Let us live in that today. Lord, we're saying yes to what's next. Give us wisdom, vision, unity as we follow after you together. In Jesus' name, amen.